Hey everybody, it's Eric Torenberg, co-founder, partner of Village Global, a network-driven venture firm. And this is Venture Stories, a podcast covering topics relating to tech and business with world-leading experts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Village Global's Venture Stories. I'm here today joined by a very special guest, Cooper Turley, aka Koopa Troopa. Welcome to the podcast. What's going on, Matt? Thank you for having me. So Cooper, we are talking on at a time where NFTs are, are absolutely blowing up. And, and you are you know foundational in, 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 the, in that happening. And, and, and that's your space. Before getting into what's going on, why don't you give a brief background of, of how you got into this space and how you and the space have evolved uh, you know, collectively? Yeah. So I've been passionate about this creator economy for quite a long time. You know, I went to school for music business. I've worked with artists for about five years. I kind of saw as I was graduating that the financial upside for someone that's helping creators is very limited. And so naturally I fell down the crypto rabbit hole as a way to sort of explore new and creative ways to make money. You know, what this looked like was me working very deeply with crypto communities for the past four years. And uh, as the last two, you know, we saw these really exciting things first being DeFi and this new one being NFTs. And so as we kind of watched the ways in which people could coordinate and share capital with one another, I found myself at the center just kind of to help to facilitate those relationships. And nowadays, just helping creators get involved in whatever way makes sense. And, and I, I talk about how that intersects with the crypto space. Yeah. So today, you know, when you look at NFTs and you look at this notion of peer-to-peer payments, um, typically when creators are looking to get paid, there's tons of middlemen all throughout the system. I don't really need to go into the specifics on that because I think people already know. What we're seeing now is that communities are really lifting up creators. You know, if you can build a project that has 100 true fans supporting everything that you do, you can be sustainable. And what I think is interesting about crypto is the ways to do that are very granular. You know, people can issue and transact in real time and, uh, you know, do some really exciting things like we're seeing today in Discord servers and with NFTs. And it all just kind of comes together to help unlock this new creator economy. And, and so for, for people who are unaware, why don't you define what is an NFT or non-fungible token and, and how it works? Yeah. So an NFT is scarce digital content, you know, in the same way that you can have collectibles in the real world, like Pokemon cards or vinyls, NFTs are basically a digital version of that. What we're seeing today is a much different variation. So you have one of ones, which are one specific piece of art or something like open editions, which means that there's an unlimited number of them for a fixed period of time. I think what's important to recognize here is that every creator is toying around with these different NFTs that are either tied to a specific event. It's like a song or something like that, or a cultural representation of a project or an ambition that they've had. You know, it's very generalized. The term NFT can apply to things beyond art. It could be a legal contract. It could be a gaming item. It could be a skin. But what we're seeing work really well today is these bigger name creators, you know, musicians in particular coming into the space for the first time and doing these sort of like prolific uh, graphic designs that are kind of encapsulated as these scarce digital tokens. So the uh, the musician Blau uh, raised, I believe, you know, over $11 million in, in, in his NFT drop. Explain how exactly that worked. And, and why it did so well, and, and what does that mean? Absolutely. So Blau tokenized his debut album, Ultraviolet. This is kind of the record that uh, is his biggest to date. He's been super active in the NFT community for a while, but what he wanted to do with this drop is go back and really you know, immortalize those records on the album. He created a custom auction platform where the top 33 bidders could receive exclusive NFTs that were related to that album and kind of had perks like being able to collaborate with him on a song, you know, getting lifetime backstage passes, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, to your point about why this worked, you know, it was less about the NFTs themselves. You know, obviously, as a music fan, I think immortalizing an album is incredible. But Blau has really, you know, evolved into this spokesperson for not only musicians, but just like artists in general. You know, the fact that he is independent, the fact that he's sort of 
charting his own path, you know, he's, he spent a ton of time just rallying with these deep NFT collector communities. And whereas you might have expected these participants to be, you know, Blau's diehard fans, it was actually the deep crypto community that banded together and said, this is an incredible experiment. We're going to, you know, put our money where our mouth is and support Blau and his endeavor because it's kind of bigger than, than the NFTs themselves. And so what are they buying when they buy and why are they buying? Besides, they think they're going to make more money off it. They think it's a financial investment. Explain that calculus. Yeah. So there was a breakdown where if you were in the top 33, you got a limited edition vinyl NFT. So the top bidder got a platinum record, for example, top seven got a gold record and then top 33 got like silver editions. And so, you know, the same way that you see like platinum records for big charts, you know, you basically had an NFT version of that. There was also song NFTs. So of the 11 tracks that are on the album, there was varying rarities of songs. So this one touch was kind of the most exclusive one. And if you were a higher bidder, you had a higher chance of getting that record. And what we're seeing now um, at the time of recording is there's going to be a secondary market around this. And so for those bidders, you know, it was a way to basically participate in the primary and kind of have a, a lifetime holding of these NFTs that are realistically kind of a pivotal turning point for music. And that cultural aspect is, in my opinion, going to give them a lot of long-term value. People have been talking about NFTs for years. Why is it taking off now or relatively recently? Like, what's the why? Why wasn't this three years ago? First and foremost, the platforms to do NFTs are miles beyond what we saw before. You know, you have like really amazing looking uh, applications and products that allow people to purchase NFTs that allow you to be flexible in the way that you design your drops. And I think that um, the reason they're taking off is that people are using crypto for the first time ever. When I say people, I don't mean crypto nerds such as myself that have 5,000 MetaMask transactions. I mean, creators that have heard of Ethereum and Bitcoin and thought of it only as an investment. They're now seeing NFTs as a way to tie their brand back to something that you know, really aligns with their mission statements and their creative outputs in the world. And so kind of combining, you know, the creative nature of an NFT and sort of an artwork with sort of the crypto nature of tokenizing on the blockchain, there's just sort of this narrative around mainstream adoption that I think is really hitting home with a lot of people. And if you're to sort of make a market map of the different players in the space or different types of players or institutions um, to just help sort of conceptualize this the, the broader space, how would you do that? Like, what are some of the, the main components of that? Yeah, so it's funny you mentioned that I'm working on a, a essay right now, kind of breaking this all down. It talks about where value caption the NFT stack. So just to sort of give a quick teaser on that, we have a protocol layer, which is something like Flow or Zora that allow these NFTs to be created in a variety of different ways. We have a market layer, which is kind of infrastructure to support those NFTs. So for example, NFTX or NIFTX, they allow you to do cool things with your NFTs. You have the marketplace, which is where you display them. So if I'm going to sell an NFT, I need to release it through a marketplace. You have creators that are making those NFTs, collectors that are buying them. And then you have applications on top of it that are basically showcasing and supporting those NFTs. Uh, one that I'll mention off the top of the head is Showtime. This is basically an Instagram for NFTs. And after NFT has been collected, you're now seeing kind of this discovery layer where people are able to show them off in cool and creative ways. Yeah. And and Showtime was was invented by our mutual friend, Alex, um, and who, who you've worked closely with. Um, and I, I worked through, through him being an on-deck fellow um, and just being a fan of, of, of his stuff. And he has a personal token uh, for, for, the, for the group that may, may not be familiar. Can you explain exactly how that works and you know wh- where, where we're excited about that? Yeah, so personal token is a token tied to a brand individual or entity. In this case of Alex, it's a personal token that represents him. So basically, if you are long on Alex, his token is a way to participate in his community. You know, the, ent- the notion of social tokens, which includes personal tokens, is really wide. So, you know, whereas Alex is as a specific individual, what we're seeing now is that Community tokens are really capturing a lot of attention and being uh, thought of pretty strongly. So outside of, you know, Alex's token, I'm working with this creator, RAC, on his community token. I'm helping a group 
called FWB with the culture crypto community. And uh, to your question of why they're exciting, I think for the first time in history, we have ways to contribute to the creator's success on a very granular level that's democratized and open to anyone in the world. Yeah. And also just to, to get all of the cards on the table in terms of the broader ecosystem, to talk about SIX, the, the NFT agency. So there is a million and one people trying to get into NFTs today. 1% of those artists actually know what NFTs are and 1% of those artists actually know how to do them well. So what SIX is, is a creative agency to help people that want to get involved with NFTs and have all the capital in the world to do it. Try and navigate this landscape so it doesn't come off as an immediate cash grab. For people who are listening who are in that position, where they're one of the million trying to, to, to make it, what is the advice that, that you have for them or, or the things to watch out for, the do's and don'ts? Yeah, people know if you're just trying to make money here. You know, the artists that are doing well are the ones that you see deep in the Twitter communities. They're on all of these forums. They're basically in these Discord servers. They're going out of their way to support the movement as a whole. And I'd say if you just come out of the blue and do a nifty drop with no prior communication or no interest and in kind of linking with the, the builders, like I think people are going to quickly start re- weeding out, you know, those that are here to support this movement and those who are here to just kind of make a quick buck. Yeah. Like, let's say I'm, I'm Jay-Z. I don't know. I just, random artist. What should my NFT strategy be? Or like, what are even the right ways of, think, of thinking about it? Uh, depending on how far into the spectrum you want to lean, I think that's an interesting question. You know, on one end, we have just sort of a one-of-one one NFT that represents a cool moment in his career right now. You know, it's kind of like packaged specifically for this ephemeral moment. On the other end of the spectrum, you have doing an NFT around the publishing rights of his catalog, right? And so being able to lean into how deep down the uh, community ownership rabbit hole you want to go, I think that's where real value accrues. And so what we're seeing now is artists... Um, tokenizing their back catalog, right? So uploading their former songs as NFTs, typically as one of ones, and then moving forward, finding ways to incorporate, you know, unique strategies around these. So for example, if I have a single coming out in two weeks, I'll release an NFT a couple of days before and give a signed print to the holders of that NFT at the time of the song release. Um, a cool example I like to give is Mike Shinoda. He did this for his song, Happy Endings. He released an NFT a few days before. I went out of my way and collected that. Not only did I get a physical print of that, I also got to see that song on my release radar as the number one song. And when I listened to that song, you know, that connection I had with Mike and that, that song, like it's like, it's unlike anything I've ever heard before. And so I think to, you know, the musicians listening to this, when we think about how do you build true fans, you know, like NFTs are really the purest way of doing that. And it's really up to you to lean into like how far you want to actually enable them to participate. Right. And so, and when you collect that NFT, you could also sell it for more. Is that, is that also the idea that like it will rise in value? You can sell it, but there's no guarantee that it'll be worth more. That's kind of on you as the collector to make that decision to right. crack wisely. But, but that's the speculation, right? Yeah. And I think that it's important to recognize that um, there's a very large movement around flipping NFTs right now. You know, if you go to Nifty Gateway at 4 p.m. PST any day of the week, you'll see an open edition. And within 10 seconds of that drop closing, there'll be a secondary market where those editions are trading for like 50% more on average. Power to those people. I think that it's great because it forms like um, efficient markets. For someone like me, I'm not really here to speculate. I'm here to collect culture. And I think that the more you focus on like, what is the long-term viability and impact of this creator being able to be empowered through community ownership, you know, obviously that will have underlying value, but, um, you know, my intent is to not kind of make a 10 X here. It's to support the creators that are really helping the space grow. It's really interesting. I've wanted for a while and I've, I've talked about it on this podcast, basically a platform by which I can speculate on, I mean, speculate is the wrong word. But basically, collecting a better word, some version of an NFT. Basically, it's this idea of if I discover a person, you know, a thinker, an artist, an idea, a meme, something. You know, the joke was that this this would be called "prove you're a hipster." 
but you know, and I, I used to help run product hunt. So I, I'm interested in sort of cool hunting or, or staking my identity on something because I, I want to believe it. And that's what I do when I invest, right. Or your, your angel list profiles sort of like a representation of here's the types of things that you believe in, but it's pretty, you know, parochially, you know, uh, scoped to startups. Uh, but I want this to be for, for everything for, for a few reasons. One, and I would collect like, you know, the New York Knicks. I'm a big fan of that. I would collect like the term capitalism. I'm like big fan of that. Um, like, you know, this cool meme I discovered, I, I think that's going to be big. It's a way for me to like, you know, showcase my identity and things that I believe in support. And also, yeah, I want to benefit re- reputationally. Like I'm, I'm someone who discovers things, but then also economically in that, yeah, I think people will, this will become more popular. Maybe it's someone's Twitter account or an Instagram account or, or whatever. And I want to bet on it. And, and what cryptocurrencies introduced is that from an economic perspective, if you got an early and it did well, you, you, you received, it didn't really have the reputational perspective as much. I mean, in that it's not so like people aren't like on their Twitter handle, Hey, like the, you know, 5,000th person who bought this currency or whatever, but I, but it did introduce the economic person. And I'm imagining like even web blogs or, you know, newsletters, we have, you know, all these, like I have, you know, thousands of subscribers, but you know, the first 50 don't even know that they're the first 50. Like there's just, it's a better way of sort of quantifying fandom, I guess. Mm-hmm. And it seems that NFTs are doing exactly what I'm what I'm talking about. Is that is that accurate? That's definitely accurate. I will say, I'm sorry that you're a Knicks fan. Um, other than <laughs> that, I would say that curation is the single most important element of NFTs and just crypto in general. So I think that uh, one thing that we see today is you might not see someone saying they're the 50th holder of a token, but what you do see is these Twitter personas where they, rally their entire brand around a project so like Chainlink God being a good example of this built like 50k following on Twitter solely from talking about Chainlink and I think that's kind of like you know the extreme end of the spectrum that you can really make a career and a reputation around a project that you're passionate about and the cool thing about not only NFTs but crypto in general is that the more that you lean into a specific niche like the more you can kind of create yeah. a name for yourself that has that economic upside associated with it yeah so like, where do you see NFTs going? Like, is every creator going to have not just musicians, not just artists, but like intellectuals or uh, course creators? Are they all going to have like an NFT strategy or where, where do we see this going? What's the future? One can only collect so many NFTs, right? Uh, maybe. I guess that's undetermined. I'm going to collect infinite NFTs. No, I'm just kidding. I think um, what we're seeing right now is NFTs are really high value. You know, the minimum amount you need to buy an NFT from a notable creator is about $500. I think not sustainable in the short term. What I'm looking for over the long term is tools that allow, you know, 10,000 fans to buy an NFT for $10 and really just democratize access to this collective vehicle that we talked about before. Um, Outside of the way that we're seeing NFTs form today, I think that intellectual property will live as NFTs. I think that song license will live as NFTs. And I think that it's our challenge as an industry to basically implement these tools such that, you know, it's not as much a a hand wavy thing saying like, oh, the owner of this NFT owns the publishing rights. But what that really means is I'm sending them a PayPal payment behind the scenes. It's like all of this stuff is happening programmatically on chain and all of those rights are associated directly into the asset themselves. Yeah. And and talk about the sort of technical innovation uh, here in, in terms of what has newly been enabled. Yeah, so the common standard for NFTs is ERC-721. This means that each token is uniquely distinguishable from another, and it means that it has a provable owner. So if you go out and you screenshot my NFT, you can share that to the world, but I'm the only person in the world that can actually sell that file, basically. And what this unlocks is an is a economy where you know digital content can be owned for the first time in history, and that digital content can have a market around it. And so um, viral content is not new, but what's new here is you can now own viral content and kind of have the ability to capture on its upside. And explain for, for the audience why it couldn't be done before. 
there was no way to ascribe a uh, token standard to an to a digital piece of content. Like if you were just basically trading a JPEG or something like that, like there's no way to basically create a market around it, and there's no way to prove ownership of that file. Yeah, and and so an- another example is your NFT blog post next week. You are uh, fractionalizing it, right? Talk about that. Yeah, so I'm doing a blog post on uh, where value is captured in the NFT stack. I haven't released NFTs despite being a collector. I'm a prolific writer, so it only seemed natural to make my first NFT a blog post. I am incredibly busy these days. I'm working on a million and one things, so I needed to find time to actually research and write this thing. So what I did is I used the platform called Mirror to crowdfund a very small amount of capital to allow myself to take the time I need to write that. You know, we put the post up, uh, we hit the cap in under a minute. And I've been spending the last two weeks, you know, diverting time away from my other paid opportunities to really work deeply on this thesis. Um, what's exciting about it is that when the post gets released, it is an NFT, which means someone can collect that. But instead of me being the only person receiving that uh, sale revenue, it's actually being distributed pro rata to the backers of this post. And so these models where you can have A, a crowdfund on the, the starting half of it, and then B, a way to fractionalize ownership and share proceeds with the supporters is like a really powerful primitive that I think goes far beyond blog posts. It's applicable to music. It's applicable to art. It's applicable to really anything if you think about it. Yeah. It reminds me of the, um, what was the idea that uh, uh, Glenn Weil and Vitalik had about like, what's the word? Dicos. What'd you say? Dicos. Oh no. Maybe it is that, but I'm not familiar. Uh, Something funding, quantitative called, I'm going to take Quadratic. Quadratic. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. is a better way just to like coordinate behavior. Yeah. If, we, if people can get paid upfront instead of, you know, at, at the back end, then more people will take that leap. Yeah. And so uh, I guess like quickly to comment on that there. So quadratic funding is really interesting because what it does, is it allows, you know, the number of contributors to be more powerful than the total sum of dollars. So it's actually more important to try and get $100 from 10 people than it is to get $10,000 from one person. And I think that this is interesting because the more that you, you know, democratize access to financial opportunity, you know, like the deeper relationships you can build with those supporters. And so without getting too nerdy on like why quadratic funding is really interesting. I think uh, Gitcoin grants is a great example of this. So there's a donation campaign where donors receive more matching based on the number of contributors that receive that donates their campaign. Yeah. And we've seen this be like a really viral project in uh, the crypto community and kind of like a North star for how quadratic funding can work at scale. That's really interesting. And so how do you think this will reshape the broader music industry? Like how, how do labels respond to this? Like, you know, what, what, what does this mean? It's a great question, man. I've been struggling internally between like our celebrity NFT is actually a good thing for the industry. I think it's good from an awareness standpoint, but I'm really worried that we're just seeing a capital formation uh, event where all of these major labels are going to come into the space, do celebrity NFTs, and then just take that capital out of it. So um, the ways I see it involving are more entities creating campaigns like six where some of that capital is reinvested into the community. You know, it's not about getting a million dollar raise and just exiting to a bank account. It's about resurfacing with the artists in that community. Um, More broadly, I think it's building more bespoke platforms to facilitate these unique drops. You know, what we see today is that every celebrity is going to Nifty Gateway, which is kind of the de facto way to do a drop these days. But that, you know, schedule where there's a drop every day at 4 p.m., multiple drops at 4 p.m., and you kind of are in this thick sea of drops happening at once. I think that that's just the preface to people building out, you know, Web3 websites in which they can facilitate drops at their own time and kind of customize it in the way that suits them. Very similar to what we saw with Blau and his drop. Yeah, that's really interesting. And so how do you expect Blau to utilize NFTs going forward? 
I think he's got some really incredible stuff planned that I can't talk too much about, but it's really going to shake up uh, even more than what he did with this drop this weekend that kind of like shows the potential for what NFTs can do and how collectors can, uh, you know, capture their upside. How do NFTs and, and, and personal tokens or social tokens connect? Or, and, and maybe you could just get into where you see, you know, and one, can you explain the difference between two if there is any? And, and can you talk about the future of how you see that evolving? Yep, absolutely. So the way that I view NFTs are they're very ephemeral. They're for a specific moment or event in time. So if I'm releasing a song, I'll have an NFT around that. Uh, a social token is a way to kind of capture the collective ephemeral moment. So if I'm doing multiple NFTs, you can have a social token that backs all of those different projects. So what we're seeing today is creators that are looking to launch a social token, they'll release NFTs as a way to bootstrap capital. So they'll sell a couple NFTs, they'll raise, say, $10,000, use that to seed a community treasury. And rather than having to sell a social token, which is a very, very risky gray area, legally speaking, they can then airdrop that token to the NFT collectors and to their true fans and kind of bootstrap this more ecosystem intensive project that, uh, you know, has NFTs as a, as a key part of it. And, and Alex's personal token, how common do you think that will be going forward? I think we're going to see uh, more community tokens than personal tokens. I think we'll see a lot of personal tokens that evolve into community tokens. And what this is really about is starting with one primary creator that's like has this vision for a community. They're going to be the main shepherd of it in the early stages. And then over time, as it's successful, you'll bring on contributors that are responsible for owning the project and kind of decentralizing the uh, long-term sustainability of it. And, and, and so that's why you, you think we'll see more personal to social is because it decentralizes uh, control? Yeah, it just shares the pie more and it allows the creator to be a little bit more flexible in how they contribute. I think this notion where the creator, the personal token creator is responsible for anything and everything that happens, like they move the market based on their own actions. It's a little bit scary, right? But I think that people kind of sharing in the success of a creator and their ethos and everything they do around, you know, what they're working on, that feels more sustainable and allows the creator to be like more free in the way that they act and kind of, you know, utilize this token to their advantage rather than it being... Uh, beholden to token holders and kind of just a way to bootstrap capital. Yeah. The uh, Do you imagine seeing a Kickstarter for social tokens or personal tokens, or does this exist in a way that's working right now? People are building it. Um, if you look at a project called Fuse, they're basically doing this where you can just buy like personal tokens of people like Little Yachty. I think that that's um, four out of 10 exciting. Like giving a creator capital is not interesting to me, but finding ways to empower your fans is. And so what I'd say is different from that is using that playbook I mentioned to you before, you know, you're selling NFTs, you're basically giving ways to be an exclusive owner of some ephemeral piece of content. And then over ways you find time to, you know, share that upside with your community through a token that can only be earned, but cannot be purchased. Interesting. So a personal token, less exciting. What's exciting to you is deepening the relationship between the fan and the audience by sort of earning, you know, upside in exchange for, connection or some, you know, activity. Is that, is that basically That's exactly it? right? It's exactly right. And, and so you, you've also thought a bit about, you know, you had a post on one on governance mining and one on uh, life as a protocol politician. Why don't you uh, go, go into both of those? Yeah. So I mentioned um, a lot of my crypto career was spent in DeFi world. And for those not familiar, decentralized finance was this huge movement where you could participate in any financial vehicle without any permission or trust. And so we saw projects like Uniswap, Compound, Aave, Balancer, you're in finance, I could name a dozen of them, but these became the most popular tokens of 2020. And one of the most beautiful parts of them is that anyone in the community could contribute to an exchange and upgrade that protocol. And so what I've been spending a lot of my time doing is working with these teams on building these systems to empower community. And so what a protocol politician is, is someone who 
gets context on everything happening in the space. They package that into a proposal and they present it to a project to implement. And when it gets implemented, they get paid out for doing that. So it's very similar to an RFP system that you see in the um, government world today. The difference is that you don't need to go through an entity to do this. You can make an open proposal to the community and should the token holders think that that's valuable, you can get voted to work on it and get paid to implement it. Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, you're also intrigued by the, the project uh, Audius and, and it's 3 million uh, MAUs uh, as an Ethereum app application. What, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, so Audius is where I'm spending most of my time these days. I'm currently running crypto strategy there. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, it's a decentralized streaming protocol. You know, in the spirit of community ownership, we're basically creating a platform where artists can upload content and truly own the value that they create from that. Um, what's exciting to me about Audius is that we've stripped away all of the complexity from using a crypto application. You log in with an email and a password, you have an Ethereum wallet, but you're not required to use it to use the, the product. And so now what we can do is kind of use this um, amazing product we built as sort of this digital passport. So when you think about things like NFTs and social tokens, you know, for musicians that are looking to get involved, they don't just want to be thrown off the deep end. They want to kind of wade in in a way that feels familiar to them. And so we've created a sound like SoundCloud-like experience where you can come in, you know, get comfortable, upload some songs, and then slowly, you know, figure out how to incorporate NFTs using a really intuitive product. NBA Top Shot, I heard, made like $230 million in, in, a, in a week or something. Trace sort of the journey. I mean, they started as CryptoKitties, right? Like, how did we get from there to, to, to here? Yeah, so um, CryptoKitties was the most viral NFT project in 2017. They literally clogged the entire Ethereum network because there was so much demand for it. And after seeing that happen, I think that I can't speak for the team, but it's my understanding that they took a step back. They thought, how can we do this at scale? They built their own product and blockchain around that, being the Flow blockchain. And this first application, NBA Top Shot, they went out and partnered with literally one of the biggest brands in the world in the NBA to kind of bring in NFTs in a way that was very natural. You know, when you purchase a Top Shot, you can pay with a credit card, you have an email and a password login, you have this portal that feels really good. And so this notion of basically futurizing NBA collectibles, you know, like everyone collects Michael Jordan rookies, but now we have animated versions of those, you know, that kind of tied with a um, ex exclusivity scarcity game where you know that no more of these editions are going to be minted. And they're very, you know, ephemeral moments in time has just kind of really taken taken off by storm. And I think that uh, you're seeing that now with all these players that are asking how to get involved because they're just so fascinated by what's happening. What other predictions do you have about how, how this is all going to play out um, that, that we haven't yet discussed? I think that the NFT bull market is probably going to end in like three months. I think we're going to see a lot of NFTs that are listed but do not sell. And we're going to go into this bear market where everyone thinks that NFTs are not valuable, but just as we saw with tokens and DeFi projects in 2019, you know, when we come back in 2023 to 2024, you're going to see, you know, mainstream scalable products that are literally uh, issuing NFTs to every facet of fans and every vertical around the world. Yeah. You know, in the surrounding ecosystem, we're going to see like what you're, you know, uh, with, with six, you were talking about your CAA, you know, agencies for, for NFTs, are we going to see funds or like studios or like what, what is sort of the surrounding ecosystem gonna gonna look like is it gonna look more like music and look more like venture capital gonna look like you know what's it gonna look like it's gonna look like creator DAOs. you know in the same spirit of social tokens where communities are really owning the networks that they create we're gonna see groups of individuals band together to buy up specific nft collections they're gonna incubate projects and uh rather than that value being captured by a few small stakeholders it's going to be shared per rata amongst all members in that collective yeah it's interesting we've talked about ownership a few a few, a few times in and that, that term, if you unbundle it, it means a couple of different things. One is, you know, economic upside. And then two is sort of like go governance um, or, or decision-making over, over what happens. And my understanding to like radically simplify 
is that the crypto space has realized that governance is really hard. Um, oh yeah. And whereas, you know, economic upside is just a lot easier. And so maybe they've sort of optimized for that at, at the, ex- at the expense of this a little bit, uh, this the sort of governance part, Hey, we can figure that out later. It, 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 how would you react to that? Yeah. I really like this notion of the 99 one rule where it's like 1% of the contributors actually add value on a daily basis. You know, 9% are loosely involved and 90% of the people just lurk. I think we see the same with governance where on all these billion dollar protocols, the teams cannot find enough people to do governance for them. You know, there's infinite amounts of money, but the mind share associated with it is like the really valuable and scarce asset here. And so to me, it's about one, how do you incentivize governance in the first place? So get people to care by tossing them an incentive. And then over the long term, opening up ways for governance to not feel really scary. Because right now what this looks like is an on-chain proposal. You have to know how to go through a governance forum. You have to know how to upload it on-chain. You have to know how to implement it like on a technical level once it passes. And so creating more democratic systems where it's as simple as starting a Discord poll, except now there's just a token mechanic to it. That's kind of where it's headed in the long term. And frankly, this is where a lot of my time has been spent because, you know, protocol politicians are extremely rare to come by. But if projects are able to find a core group of like 50, you know, core contributors that are like overseeing every aspect of governance, you can sort of start opening up the puzzle where anyone can come in and earn. And it's just a uh, really beautiful system that like is very promising for the future of, like I said, ownership and just like community governance as a whole. Yeah. Uh, totally. Uh, I, I think it's a great, great place to um, segue. So yeah, l- let's talk about OnDeck. I mean, OnDeck, you're, you're, it's obviously this big community. There's a lot of different types of creators and, and, and founders and, and investors. How should it play in this, uh, in this brand new world? If you were the CEO of OnDeck, w- what would you do? I would encourage all the creators to think about the ways in which their users are capturing value from their product. And this doesn't mean like giving them a little bit of cash back. It's like, what is the next generation of equity and how do I find ways to share that with my users? Obviously, a lot uh, harder said than done, but um, at, a, at a grassroots level, you know, like when it comes to building those hundred true fans, we typically think of that from like a creator lens of like, okay, I'm a creator and I'm unlocking content. I need a hundred true fans. That's applicable to any company ever. And I think like strategy around that and how to develop and incubate those type of people and any, you know, corporation, product, entity, yeah. whatever it might be, I think is really, really special. Are, are you saying that NFTs are a way for creators to get equity? Because that, that's sort of the big thing right now. They, they get cash from their fans. But is this is this another variation of, of of ownership in a comparable way to what it would mean to have you know equity in a company? You think you know that type of ownership in a in a company that could could grow significantly? If you choose to make that NFT have those rights, then yes, I think that's very possible. I think at its core, NFTs are a revenue stream. They're a way to sell digital products. I think for a collector, they're a way to capture uh, a scarce digital product, right? So like that's inherently more valuable than buying a T-shirt. Um, I think to the point of like how you make it translate to equity empowering nft holders so if you are doing nfts and you say like everyone who holds this nft will get x amount of discounts in the future they will be able to trade this in for y percentage of options or equity in the future or something like that you can get really you know customizable about it but um you know at its core i think it's just like kind of issuing rights with those nfts and giving people that collect them ways to utilize those benefits beyond just like holding the asset like all of that is kind of icing on the cake that can make this really exciting yeah do you broadly have a reaction to the idea that the one thing we haven't yet figured out to do is, is give creators equity um, or your real you know, ownership in something versus just continuing to get that, that cash flow? I think uh, equity will not exist in 10 years from now. And so I think like just finding ways to like make that work on like a global scale without worrying about sort of the restrictions to understanding equity and owning it in the first place is kind of right. like my long-term lens here. But to answer your question directly, I don't think it's an issue because I don't think a lot of people know what equity is and I don't think a lot of people know its value. So it's more a question around like 
education around the value of an equity in a company and then sort of opening up channels to be able to participate in that feels like a good path. Why won't equity exist in, in a decade? I think that tokens are way more fluid. They're global and there's a lot less um, hurdles. You know, you can trade them at any time in the day. You can exchange them on a global scale in real time. Like that is inherently better than, you know, only being able to trade at nine to five or being able to only purchase it if you are an accredited investor or have, you know, a very nice network behind you. Yeah. And so what, what's sort of the path from here to there in terms of like, how, how could we envision it's just, I guess, companies of the future won't be offering equity anymore. It's not like Facebook or whatever, or these companies are going to you know rescind the equity. How, how do you see that playing out? Tokens become the equity. And I think that there needs to be a lot of legal work done to make sure that people are protected from that. It's a very dangerous game. This is why we saw ICOs do so poorly is there was no protection. But I think at its core, you know, basically allowing tokens to have all the same economic rights that equity has, you know, and having them live as a digital um, token that can be traded on the blockchain freely like that premise feels good. And to answer your question again, I think that it's just kind of education around like why having a token is much more fluid and flexible than yeah. having, you know, a paper vehicle, I think is kind of a first start there. And do you, th- do you think ICOs will come back as strong as they were or even, str- but in a, in a new form? And if so, what, what could that look like? No one's figured this out yet. I'm actually not too uh, bullish on ICOs. What we see today is that um, ICOs today just resemble equity raises. You know, it's basically a private seed round where if you're an investor that has the right connections, you're going to build out around and get 25% of the supply. There's actually a pretty strong wave of these things called fair launches in DeFi over the summer where there was no uh, formal round or raise or anything. The only way to earn tokens is by participating in the network. And I think finding a middle ground where you can unlock the first level of access to your users while also finding a way to secure capital for the team. You know, like something in that direction feels good. But the one thing I'd kind of highlight is that, in my opinion, you know, access to these products and services that are going to be billion dollar companies, like opening that up to your most valuable users is really, really valuable. And what I'd like to see is that those opportunities don't only get, you know, um, offered to the people that have funds and have, you know, invested in the space for a very long time. Yeah, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you think OnDeck should do uh, some version of a fellowship um, for, uh, around this in terms of helping people um, who, who want to either create personal or social tokens or create NFTs, um, sort of learn more about it, you know, uh, find an audience or like what, what, knowing what you know about our, our product, what do you think we should do, if anything? I think educating people on what's going on in the space is good. Um, I see it being hard to push people into the space and more times than not, when you try and push them in, it ends up being something shitty. So like, I think just educating people on what's happening and what's working well, showing them what's happening and let them kind of find their way into it is really good. I think that we're about two years away from this being like ready at the main mainstream level. And so like just kind of getting people primed, you know, for when these technological tools are available, you know, to actually influence them, you know, in a meaningful way, is probably more important than kind of encouraging them then to do it today when in reality we're in a bull market. And I think that, uh, Anyone that starts trying to do an NFT today or a social token today, they're probably going to get burned in the next six to 12 months. So I'd say, you know, hold off, let the market simmer down. And when all the dust settled, then start thinking about it in a very serious way. And so say more about what that infrastructure needs. Like, what's your sort of request for, for, for infrastructure request for project? Like, what do you want to see built? Uh, better fiat on-ramps. And when I say fiat on-ramp, I don't mean buying crypto on Coinbase. I mean like immediately having funds topped up in a, theory, in a non-custodial Ethereum wallet so that you can interact with DeFi, NFTs, social tokens in general. You know, more work around like the usability of these products. So like MetaMask sucks. The fact that I have to, in, you know, refer everyone doing NFTs to MetaMask first is not good. That's not to say you need to build a wallet, but I think that there's ways to, you know, bake a wallet experience into your product that feels 
more intuitive, focusing on like fractionalization and, and peer-to-peer payments, right? So today, if I want to make a transaction to someone else, it's about $5 worth of gas. There's other blockchains working on this, but you know, creating these uh, ecosystems in which you can dr- transact freely in real time and do cool payment games, you know, without having to sacrifice on building on some shitty blockchain, I think would be pretty fascinating too. So like, I'm not sure if those are helpful, but those are some of the things that I've been thinking about. Yeah. Do you think a, a, a demo day for these types of creators will, will be helpful? I guess, and broadly, are you, are you a believer in like the YC model for these, these creators? Like what, how do you see that playing out? There's been a lot of chatter about that. I am not educated enough in why the YC model has or has not worked to be able to get a, an opinion on that. I think um, a demo day on the crypto products that have worked well and showing like what it looks like to build a Discord community and what it looks like to transact in Web3 in a non-custodial manner, like basically like earning tokens, like something as stupid as yield farming, where I put my assets in compound and then I earn compound tokens in real time that have a financial value. Like, I don't think that's anything special in crypto by any means, but just showing people that there are ways to like issue kickbacks to people in real time that have like freely liquid transferable value. Like, I think those primitives can get some pretty interesting wheel spinning. And gearing towards closing here, I mean, how have you sort of wrapped your head around what's the best way for you to to contribute to the ecosystem that sort of maximizes your skills, interests with where everything's going? Yeah, find a niche that really speaks to you. I think there's a million and one ways to get involved in crypto. And it's not about being educated on everything that's going on. It's about finding a very small sector that really excites you and making sure that you're seen as an expert in that space. Yeah, that's a great place to wrap. My guest today has been uh, Cooper Turley. Uh, Cooper, do you have any uh, uh, plugs in terms of where people can learn more and check your work? Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Cooper Trupa. Awesome. And your upcoming essay, uh, they should stay tuned for and, and participate if, if it makes sense. You're damn right. Awesome. Uh, thanks, Cooper. This has been a great episode. Thank you for having me, man. If you're an early stage entrepreneur, we'd love to hear from you. Check us out at villageglobal.vc.com.